Good afternoon and welcome to Leveraging Data Center Infrastructure to Meet the Quadruple Aim, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Intel. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name's Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I'll be your moderator today. We're hoping for your participation today. Uh, you could send your questions and comments in in the Q&A box. We're also going to do a little poll later in the pro program. We hope you'll get engaged in that. Nice way to view the screen is uh, click on the top center and get that into side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the slides and the video boxes how you like them, and you want it to say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today, first we're going to have our panel discussion featuring my good friend Chuck Christian, VP of Technology and CTO with Franciscan Health, Jim Brady, Dr. Jim Brady, Interim VP, Information Security and Infrastructure, and CISO with Fairview Health Services, and Ivers AppSite, Healthcare Practice Manager with Hewlett Packard, uh, Packard Enterprise. Then we're going to have our Q&A. So let's jump right into the discussion. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, Chuck, why don't you start off? Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure, absolutely happy to. Uh, Franciscan Health is a 13-hospital system uh, that is uh, has facilities in Indianapolis uh, all the way up to Chicago. We have about 400 physician uh, practice and uh, ancillary services locations uh, scattered uh, through uh, Indiana and uh, in the Chicago area, particularly south suburban Chicago and uh, up into uh, very southern Michigan. Uh, we have about uh, 2,000 inpatient beds, uh, about 1,600 uh, uh, physicians. Uh, we're a great organization to work for, faith-based. Uh, a Catholic uh, with a big C organization. I'm very uh, pleased in, uh, to work here. I've been here for about uh, 18 months now. Uh, they still let me show up for work uh, remotely uh, uh, every day. Uh, and my role as Vice President of Technology and, and CTO is if anything is broken, uh, I own it. Uh, and so... <laughs> Uh, I've got a great team, uh, as you can well imagine. The infrastructure that we support on a daily basis to make this organization work uh, is quite complex. Uh, and, uh, and we tested it greatly when we uh, moved uh, about four or 5,000 of our employees to remote work in two weeks. Uh, so, uh, got, like I said, got a great team. Very proud to uh, be part of that. Excellent, Chuck. Thank you. Uh, Jim? Right. Thanks, Anthony. I'm really excited to be here. It's a great uh, panel you've got, um, and so happy to be part of that. Um, and it's an awesome topic, so I think we're going to have fun. Uh, so I'm currently the uh, v interim VP of Infrastructure and Security uh, and the Chief Information Security Officer at, uh, at Fairview Health Systems. Uh, very similar to what Chuck, uh, the organization he's at, uh, we also have 13 hospitals, about 100, 100 plus clinics, uh, 36 pharmacies. Uh, we, we have recently established a partnership with the University of Minnesota Medical School and the University of Minnesota <clears throat> Physician Group. So there's about 5,000 physicians there. Uh, so we have a, a great partnership going. So that, that, uh, that uh, 
partnership is called M Health Fairview. So you'll see folks from my organization, often they refer to either M Health Fairview or Fairview Health Systems. Uh, and it's about 40,000 uh, staff. It's about $8 billion organization covering the Twin Cities in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota. <clears throat> um, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, a little bit about me and the, the role. And as I said, I've been on board since April and I'm actually speaking from sunny Southern California as I've been, uh, the last three months I've been doing the role 100% remote through Microsoft Teams. Amazing, right? Who would have thought a awesome. few years ago yeah. uh, doing a role like that 100% remote? It's amazing and kind of wonderful. Um, Ivers. Yeah, so uh, hello, my name is Ivers Appsite. I am currently uh, serving as a healthcare practice manager on the HP healthcare team. Um, one of my primary responsibilities on the team is to not only interface with customers, but also serve as the HP Epic uh, liaison. Um, how I earned that role is uh, in uh, my former role, I've actually uh, worked in IT almost all my life. And the last third of it, I've been spent IT leadership in various healthcare roles. Nine of those years spent at a health system working in IT. And uh, there we used Epic uh, and have uh, lots of both actual healthcare industry experience from not only uh, supporting healthcare, but you know, as a consultant, and now working for HP as uh, on the vendor side. So um, I'm looking forward to this conversation and uh, be able to speak to it from both sides of the fence, if you will. Excellent. Thank you, Ivers. All right. We're going to talk a lot about uh, the, tr the quadruple aim today, uh, low cost, high quality, and high patient and provider experience. It's going to be a theme in our discussion today. Um, so how is the quadruple aim driving your decisions in your healthcare system? Jim, let's start with you. All right. Well, um, obviously, uh, everybody knows there's this, there's been a little thing called a pandemic that's uh, upended healthcare. Uh, so there's a lot of, I think we've heard a lot about it. That's kind of the topic of the day. Uh, so one of the things we're focused on is um, as we look to come out of the pandemic and hopefully we'll be coming out of, coming out of it soon is to come out of it as a materially different organization. So from the CEO, the board, all the way down, the, the discussion really is about how do we shift and pivot to address the needs of, uh, you know, so you know, we definitely want the highest quality at the lowest possible cost. And so how do we as an organization, uh, you know, change so that we can uh, we can reduce our costs so we can do things more efficiently. So, uh, you know, I think we know that Process improvement uh, is something uh, uh, Fairview Health Systems uh, is a strong lean shop. So there's quite a bit of process improvement and, and those types of things that have been going on. But really to transform it, to, to do that 180 shift, uh, to do something really significant, we really do need something that's transformative. And I think we all know that those of us on this, uh, on this call here and listening, we know that technology does have the potential to make those, you know, uh, amazing transformative things. So we're looking at, you know, uh, really addressing uh, costs through consumerism, through, you know, we've recently went from zero. Uh, I've heard a lot of stats on different CIOs, you know, talk about how they went from, you know, a small number to a, a large number of video visits, but we went from zero video, video visits to 60,000 a month. So um, it's kind of an interesting stat. A lot of that is telephone calling. 
some of that it's because we, you know, we need to train our providers and things to in order to use video, but we have several video uh, solutions in place. So we're, you know, we're looking at automation, we're looking at strategic uh, sourcing, you know, uh, uh, we're looking at our infrastructure, how can, you know, there's a lot of opportunity. And one thing I wanted to mention at the beginning, and I'll kind of end with this, is uh, Fairview Health System actually is a, uh, uh, merged with Health East health system, uh, which is a pretty large health system back in 2017. Um, and true to the holding company model of the organization, we didn't necessarily uh, change the infrastructure. We didn't bring everybody into a common standard. And so now we have a, a great opportunity to look at our cost uh, structure and say, how can we uh, standardize? How can we systemize? Uh, and so I think, and then look towards platforms. So I think there's a lot that technology can do. The business definitely is looking to us for leadership and guidance um, as they move forward. So, so I think we got some wonderful opportunities at uh, Fairview. So, uh, all right. Thank you. All right, very good. So interesting. Uh, you want to come out materially different than you went in, sort of that no no crisis should go to waste type thing, right? Take advantage of Absolutely. the opportunity for change. Chuck? Well, I think uh, everything that Jim said, and I'll add a little bit to it, I think one of the things that uh, when I joined the organization, you know, what we're trying to do is get to a a very high resilient uh, uh, infrastructure. In organizations our size, uh, it's like I said, the infrastructure is very complex. Uh, we have a, uh, we just finished redesigning uh, our network uh, to uh, create some additional redundancy and resiliency. If you look at most healthcare organizations, uh, you know, they're kind of working their way out of the data center business and moving more into software as a service and other, you know, potentially platforming, you know, cloud-based services. And so if you don't have a network that can heal itself, uh, you're going to be in uh, trouble pretty quick. And so we've been working in that direction. And then the other thing that, you know, uh, Anthony, you know that I've been in healthcare for uh, now almost uh, five decades. Uh, and I grew up in healthcare uh, on the clinical side. So uh, I have a passion and understand that the technology is just a tool. Uh, you know, a lot of the things that we've been working with over the course of years to automate healthcare, uh, we've basically done exactly the wrong thing, in my humble opinion. We've automated paper-based processes uh, without looking for uh, the appropriate uh, uh, solutions that will make them more efficient. Uh, and so, you know, it's the, the old adage is, if you really want to screw things up, let a computer do it. Uh, and so I think we're, we're learning that now and uh, uh, we're working to uh, remove some of the burden that we've added to our clinical staff, you know, physicians, nurses, pharmacists, you name it, uh, because we're now starting to, uh, we have enough data that we can use uh, to uh, leverage that. And so I think that's, the, that's one of the key points is we can automate a lot of things. Uh, and we had this conversation at our a senior leadership group this morning, as a matter of fact, is we need to leverage uh, the technology and the tools to help us improve our organizations. Uh, we learned some valuable lessons about what we're capable of uh, when we dropped into crisis. As I mentioned, we moved about four to 5,000 uh, folks. Our entire IT department uh, in the building I'm in, we house about 356 uh, folks, including myself. We all went remote. 
that building has stood empty now for uh, many months. Uh, and we moved all of our billing offices, our coders, uh, uh, home uh, without a great deal of issue and keeping in mind that we're totally dependent upon or at the mercy of everybody's local ISP, just like I am with mine. So we need to leverage that. We also learned a lot about how our physicians, how creative and innovative our medical staff can be uh, when faced with uh, issues about taking care of our patients and the dedication they have of making sure they want to take care of the patients, particularly that are most vulnerable and have, uh, you know, comorbidities uh, and uh, they have disease states that, uh, that need to be taken care of on a more regular basis. And so, uh, and how they're taking care of those patients on the inpatient basis too. And so, as, as you said, before I started my conversation was, we, we can't let uh, a good crisis go to waste. And so uh, there has been many things we're gonna carry forward to help, uh, help move us into this uh, ram of where we're gonna be accepting uh, full risk for our patient populations. Uh, and uh, using the technology to do that. And so if, if we can't uh, move into that, uh, that realm of uh, better outcomes and being reimbursed for how well we take care of our patient populations goes, you know, the, or the, for 10 years we've been saying it's coming. Well, I think it's here uh, and we better be prepared for it. Uh, and uh, since I'm getting a little older now, uh, is that I, you know, I want that healthcare system to be able to uh, you know, provide the excellent healthcare, but at a price point that, uh, that we, we can tolerate. So we, we're gonna have to use technology to get us there. Excellent, Chuck, thank you very much. Uh, Ivers? Well, quadruple aim has been, I think, a stalwart for healthcare and we on our team actually use a quote from the advisory board that reports that a 10% increase in you know, patient loyalty can drive up to $22 million in revenue for the average health system. And that actually brings a, an interesting observation because you know, patient loyalty, what drives patient loyalty? And that realistically comes down to the type of care that they get well who's the main caregiver at a health system well it's the clinicians you know it's the physicians it's the you know nurses it's anyone else that engages with the physician you know it doesn't really touch the patient okay so how does that all tie together well the health system then really serves two customers and you know the patients are one but really it's the physicians the clinical staff that are delivering that care. So when I was working at a health system, you know, we adopted a, uh, a model, you know, where, you know, I exist to serve those who are providing or receiving life affecting healthcare. So our whole effort started to focus on what are we doing for those who are providing healthcare? You know, we were, um, what kind of drove that home to me is we were one of the first health systems back in 2007 where we wrote our own VDI solution. We did a virtual desktop before anyone even knew what a virtual desktop was. And I was actually amazed at the impact it made on physicians because back then, 
you know, how long did it take you to boot up a PC? Yeah. Two minutes, three minutes, people would shut it down. I mean, back then, many times you would see a physician duck in on a nurse's credentials to quickly do some documentation in what was, you know, uh, an EHR back there, you know, back then. And it was just all wrong, but that is what occurred because it, technology was clumsy. And when we introduced a technology that could literally help you resume your where you left off in less than 10 seconds, it was a game changer as far as physician satisfaction. And what was really cool is we did some analysis and that parlayed into improved throughput. I mean, we actually had better efficiencies on our workflows and thus reporting into quicker turnarounds. I mean, less the length of stay. I mean, that all suddenly added up into a improved bottom line. And um, we kind of started playing that back into how all that impacted the quadruple aim. You know, we had, you know, just overall by improving workflow, by fast response time roof flow, not only do we have satisfied patients, satisfied physicians and nurses administering the care, but also we had lower costs. So all this started really making sense. So we kind of adopted the quadruple aim as our speaking to. Matter of fact, uh, one of the CIOs I, I know uh, often uh, says, if you can't speak to the quadruple aim, don't even bother talking to us. So um, that's kind of how I wrap up my whole philosophy of being able to, you know, speak to those in decision-making roles is, can we speak to, and can you speak to me in quadruple aim uh, vernacular? So it helps improve the healthcare that we're delivering. And that I think is every one of our goals is, you know, we, we exist yet to make sure everything is working and we, we operationally uh, make the health system sound financially, but we actually all really care about how we're impacting those providing or receiving life-affecting healthcare. Great, great. So it can, it sounds like uh, your opinion, it could be extremely useful for setting strategy and, and operations and, and all, all that type of thing. So very good. Um, next question. Typically, all four aims are recognized as equally important. Does one of them carry more importance or significance to you or your health system and why? Chuck, let's start with you. Well, I mean, I, I agree they're all equally important, but I, I think that, you know, one or two beget all the all the other ones. Uh, I mean, the, at the end of the day, the, the patient experience uh, is, uh, for me, the most primary uh, focus. Uh, having come from a, 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 you know, a clinical background, uh, our health systems, that's what we do. And I remind everybody, uh, I've done it for many years, is, uh, you know, our primary uh, role is taking care of patients. Uh, and, you know, we need to, you know, as we're moving from sick care to well care of into health care is taking care of the health of an organism uh, of the individual and that organization exists to do that. I mean, if you look at the way healthcare has transformed or uh, that metamorphosis of healthcare over the last many decades, um, uh, we, you know, we've transitioned a lot of uh, inpatient things to outpatient. Uh, today, you can go have a cholecystectomy, which is, you know, having your gallbladder removed uh, as an outpatient procedure. I can remember uh, decades ago that you were going to be in the hospital for at least eight days, and you were going to take about eight weeks to recover. 
Uh, and right. so the, the technology has allowed us to make a lot of changes in the way that we provide intervention in healthcare. I'm a recipient of a stent uh, in the, my right posterior artery uh, after an event that should have killed me uh, 24 years ago. Uh, and so uh, I'm kind of living proof that technology, uh, that they didn't have to crack my chest in order to do that. They did it uh, through uh, a catheter. Uh, so uh, that's the thing that I think that everybody's looking for. It's not really a magic bullet, but how do we impact uh, how we care for our patients? Uh, no different than when we couldn't bring patients in our physician offices uh, to provide the well care uh, and the check-in care that they needed to have. We rapidly stood up. I think Jim said they went to uh, 80,000 visits a month. Uh, we we were not too far behind and uh, how quickly we ramped that up uh, and, uh, you know, provide great care, not only through a virtual visit, just on the phone, uh, just to check in and do the things that we ought to be doing. So for me, the, the patient care, and along with that, we have to uh, also impact the providers uh, as well, uh, because, you know, it's, it's kind of like the joke of the good old boys with the chainsaw. Uh, you can cut wood with it, but it works a whole lot better if you crank it. Uh, and so uh, we don't want to burden the physicians with technology that's going to get in their way of taking care of their patients or cause them to take uh, shortcuts in order to get their, get their work done because we keep adding uh, to the workloads uh, and expecting more uh, and uh, it, it's just not there. And so the, the time has to come from somewhere. So you know, those, those two are, are, and I think that once we get those two, the other, other two uh, will come, will follow. Very good, Jim. Yeah, uh, Chuck, so uh, I'm a city boy, so I totally, uh, I intellectually get what you're saying about cranking the crane chain, but uh, I mean the chains off it. Uh, yeah, so I'm with you on the patient experience, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, why are companies like, why is Amazon so successful? It's because they're delivering, you know, high value for a very low cost. And so I think, you know, if, if uh, you have the greatest quality, but you can't, people can't access it, then that's a problem. So I think access to care, having it affordable, and then, you know, as to my earlier comments about, you know, looking internally at the organization, uh, you know, healthcare systems, you know, we have lots of opportunities to cut cost, you know, to, uh, extract out cost and then to use technology to find new business and to do things more uh, more innovatively and to so accelerate our growth. So I think it's looking um, on one hand being competitive, uh, like we're in the Twin Cities, so uh, there's an opportunity for you know our our organization to be the leader in virtual care and telehealth. So even though we weren't doing a whole bunch of it before. Uh, you know, I think that we have to look at opportunities for growth. You know, how do we uh, stay in business? How do we thrive? And so those are things that, you know, I think we're looking at and we can pass those um, on to our patients and those that are part of the health plans. So I think the, those are things that, you know, we're really taking a hard look at. And I think it's important. I know prior to COVID, there was lots of discussion at uh, different organizations I've been at um, with physician burnout. Um, and making sure that, uh, you know, the EHR is not, as Chuck said, just a paper-based re rewrite uh, to digital. Uh, and, you know, uh, if remembering the providers that they're the ones, you know, laying their lives down doing the care. And so um, I haven't 
really heard a whole bunch of it uh, in the last couple of months because I think we've been so heads down on, you know, standing up surge capacity and uh, leaning in. And so I, but I really do think it all focuses in on making sure that uh, those that need the care can get uh, quick access to it. And so I think that probably falls under the patient experience, but, you know, uh, uh, upholding that or the other quadruple aim components that we need to have in place. And, and, uh, and I think organizations are going to have to look at, you know, how can they sustain themselves in this new era that we're about to enter into, which I'm not sure we even know what it's going to look like fully. Uh, but, you know, I know that if we're running lean and we're efficient, we're using technology and we're not afraid to fail, uh, you know, you got to take some low, some risk um, moving out. Uh, and then I think that we'll start seeing, uh, you know, health systems uh, finding themselves uh, moving forward. And we already know, and there was definitely some discussion about this in a lot of the circles that I was, that had been a part of about the non-traditional healthcare entities that are kind of coming into healthcare mm -hmm. and taking the, you know, what essentially the non-acute um, care business and offering access, you know, low cost uh, convenience, uh, so, uh, so I think that you know, as we get our platforms together, uh, uh, and uh, and develop some of those things, make them available. You know, definitely focus on mobile. Uh, that's where a lot of folks are at this point. They don't walk around carrying laptops and PCs. <laughs> you know, they're basically mobile. You know, and, and agile development, having the ability to quickly spin up uh, and uh, spin down services. Um, you know, I think that's important. So, so, but it's all wrapped around the patient experience, I believe, and where the patient is at the center. But we do have to remember that the, uh, as uh, Ivor said, you know, we do have to take care of those that are helping make this happen. That's our providers, our doctors, and our nurses. So, so, uh, yeah, all four important. But I, I would go with the patient experience. Very good, Ivers. Interesting. Um, I hold a, a bit of a different. Uh, of uh, a thought thought pattern where, as I started, as I said earlier, there's two customers. You know, we have the patient. So everything that you know, Jim and Chuck just echoed, uh, I I fully am in line with. Yet, uh, as you know, Jim just alluded to, what drives who drives patient satisfaction, and that isn't without excellent physician and clinician care. And, you know, when you look at the history, it, went, it was initially triple aim, then it went to quadruple aim. Well, what was added? The physician, you know, the clinician experience. And I believe that was an evolution of the aims, if you will. And that was added because, you know, what happened at that time? Well, we went from a paper-based solution to a electronic-based solution. And quickly we ran into the whole concept of, you know, dependence on technology, dependence on, you know, electronic workflows, the dependence on the people to not be knowledgeable of using the technology at the same time while delivering care. And there's a lot of physician sentiment, if you will, um, is the EHR really a beneficial environment or, you know, or not to actual patient care? And that's a very religious discussion, not one for this uh, topic. <laughs> but the 
net is is you know we were experiencing physician burnout you know and people just not willing to use the technology or poorly implement technology solutions that really impacted the physician and clinician experience so i would say that physician experience is not if not equal to patient care it's maybe even a bit higher and only because you know you want your physician to be able to dispense care to do what the patient needs them to do at that point uh, and that can flow throughout that whole uh, you know patient experience throughout the health system and i'm really therefore more probably focused if if uh, if i've been focused on something it's at the physician experience uh, again i'll lay the vdi experience whenever we tested our vdi experience if it impacted the physician by two more clicks and you multiply the two more clicks across a bunch of physicians that could cause a negative experience and physicians aren't happy about it guess what you know, uh, sometimes uh, it flows out into their care patterns and care practices, and they'll either stop or work, create workarounds. Uh, so we're almost maniacally focused on very hyper-efficient workflows. And uh, what was even interesting back then, we we're very eager in even getting physicians involved in the EHR so they could actually customize and improve on the workflows themselves to improve the patient care. So all of these kind of things added up to an improved uh, physician experience, resulting in better patient experiences and even impacting outcomes, which all of us get measured on. As you know, the CMS loves that metric and we have a hard time speaking to that, but I believe physician and clinician experience is the root uh, core focus of all of that. So Anthony, let me add to uh, what uh, Ivers and, and Jim and I have said is, in one thing, you know, we have to go back in the Wayback Machine uh, in <laughs> about uh, 10 or 11 years, and uh, why are we here? Uh, is you know, it's not because the industry was moving forward. We were, but uh, we we're moving much slower than the country wanted us to go. So we had this little thing called high tech that was part of uh, uh, the Reinvestment Act uh, in 2009 that. Uh, generated uh, a significant amount of funding in order for us to move healthcare into the electronic age. A lot of us took advantage of that. However, uh, it came with strings attached. In the beginning, there was a carrot uh, that, that allowed you to get, uh, get, get gather the funds in order to pay for a portion, not all, of the technology that we had to deploy. And then they, there came the stick. If you didn't do it or weren't using uh, this uh, appropriately uh, that, um, that um, I'm sorry, that was my, my wife letting the dog in. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, the, uh, and so we were very quickly required to not only automate, but also show that we were, were using those investments appropriately. And so there was a lot of things that we had to, you know, functionality that we had to put um, immediately into EMRs to capture the data that we had to report back to the federal government so we wouldn't be penalized. Uh, and uh, because we weren't using, uh, we weren't meaningful users, which is now, uh, we, we, it's transition over to interoperability. And the other thing is that we tried to very desperately to make, uh, 
solutions uh, exchange data that were never ever designed to exchange data. We're much better at it today, uh, further on down the line. But I just want to you know, mention that uh, where we are today, a lot of it is unintended consequences of the rules and legislation that came out of Washington, D.C. about uh, now 12 or 13 years ago uh, before it was finalized in 2009. Jim, any thoughts on that? Um, no, I mean, I, I pretty much agree with Chuck on that, so nothing additional to add. All right, very good. Uh, next question. This is an interesting question. What metrics do you expect your IT teams to provide that confirm or deny adherence to uh, or improvement upon achieving the four aims? So if that's your goal, if you're looking at achieving those aims, how are you measuring whether or not you're moving in the right direction? Jim? Yeah, so for that one, um, I think there's some work that we need to do just on uh, metrics and reporting overall as an organization. So I think we'll be looking into that. Uh, one thing I, I did want to comment on is, you know, some of the some of what we've seen in COVID um, is where, as Chuck mentioned, you know, we went rapidly to remote to a remote workforce. So you know, pretty much all of ours uh, that are not needed in the clinical spaces are working remotely. So it, it really did uh, change the expectation on IT. Like if IT can, you know, transform that quickly, do something that mm -hmm. we've been trying to do for, you know, months or years, and we can do it in, in a matter of weeks, then it kind of changes the expectation. And so reporting on that and having metrics and understanding it, uh, I think is critical. And so we need to make sure we have the right systems in place to even get the metrics. So in, in uh, my case, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see what uh, we have, we have kind of too many monitoring systems at this point. Uh, so we need to kind of consolidate down. So we, looking at how can we get the statistics, um, and how can we get those metrics and report them out that the business would understand what those are and they're in their business trends, you know, relatable types of things. Um, Chuck? And, and the, oh, sorry. Oh, Go ahead, yeah. Jim. The other thing I was going to mention, too, is uh, we had a lot of projects in the pipeline, uh, you know, pre-COVID. Uh, and, and then uh, now that we're kind of in this state uh, to get that uh to get that ability to quickly do things, we had to stop doing a lot of things. So uh, a lot of our reporting um, on, especially on a project-based uh, perspective is, has been paused, but because we focused on just a few things. So it shows if, you know, it's kind of, we're kind of looking at what do we need to, uh, and maybe this will be uh, related to a few, uh, one of the uh, questions that we're gonna talk about further on in our discussion, but, you know, what is our priority? Um, how do we keep that focus? How do we report on that focus? Um, and then uh, so we can keep that same speed and agility. And we're already seeing a little bit of creep now that we've started to add in some of the, like we've had projects continuing on during COVID uh, that were kind of coming through IT governance. But for the most part, they have uh, been paused, uh, but some have been uh, maintained. But now that we're kind of opening things up a little bit, uh, you know, we're seeing that uh, that a little bit of, of uh, the how we're not able to do things quite as fast because now we got more pots on the stove. So I think it's you know a lot of it is we want to uh, we want to identify what is priority and then translate that in business terms uh, and clinical terms and then make sure we get the business buy-in and they're aware of kind of what we're doing so that we can, you know, be meeting expectations or, you know, ideally exceeding expectations. So. Very good, Chuck. 
Well, I, I would agree uh, with everything that Jim said. It's it's kind of interesting is that, it, it, you know, IT uh, did uh, very quickly, you know, uh, they we turned our in, uh, stuff inside out uh, to transform the organization uh, to do a bunch of virtual and remote stuff. And so it's kind of funny now, it's just like Jim said, to say, okay, if y'all can do that that quick, so let's get some of this other stuff. And so let's add to your plate. Uh, and I, I, I reminded uh, the team, uh, I have a favorite saying, I went to the Disney Institute years ago, is a favorite saying of mine that Walt Disney said, uh, you know, Walt Disney is, is it's not, a, it's not magic uh, that makes it work, but it's the work that makes it look like magic. And so it's the appropriate planning and all the due diligence and all the prep work uh, that, that, that we have to put in an order when we flip the switch on something that it works and uh, you get the wow factor. Now, Granite Tree, we didn't have a lot of time to uh, do a lot of planning uh, and, and stuff uh, as, as COVID hit because we just didn't and uh, we ramped up. So, you know, get, to get back to your, uh, the, the question is that's one of the challenges that we're looking at right now. There is just a bucket load of, uh, and y'all can tell I'm a demo country boy from Alabama. So there's a bucket load of things that we could monitor, but why should we? Uh, so we need to identify the things that, you know, in areas that we need to improve upon, because this is no different than the Joint Commission accreditation and some of the other standards and monitoring that we've done in healthcare for years. There's a whole lot of stuff that we can monitor, but if it's not around the areas that you can improve upon uh, and you don't have a good plan, then you're, you're just gathering data. And I think that was uh, some of the stuff early on in some of the quality measures and stuff. We were measuring a whole lot of stuff, but it didn't really make any difference. Uh, it, you know, we weren't uh, moving the dial because just because we we're gathering data. And so we, we need to identify those things that uh, – can show improvement, uh, and, and that, those are the more difficult things. So I've challenged my leadership team uh, to, you know, I, I, I gave them a, you know, kind of a salt at the list a little bit. Here's some things I'm thinking about. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm working with my architects uh, and my technical leads is, what is it that we really need to monitor in order to uh, find areas that we need to improve? And so one of, one of my guys found an ISO model that we're looking at. So uh, it's yet to be determined, but you know, we've been monitoring a whole lot of stuff for a long time, but it's, you know, it's just kind of there. Uh, we have a dashboard uh, and uh, it's kind of, okay. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's cute. Uh, it, it, so what do we do with it? So I, I, I want something that's actionable uh, that uh, will point us in a direction. And the thing about it is it's going to make us nervous because the things that we're going to report on, we're not doing really good on. And so we need to use those reporting tools in order to do better. Right. But you don't want to, you don't want to be spinning up metrics on things and go, we really need to improve there but we have no time or resources to do it. So let's not worry. Well, it's it's kind of like when I was growing up, when I did something wrong, which was a lot, uh, my mama made me go out and cut my own hickory uh, that I got, I got whipped with. And so uh, I, I don't want to do that with my monitoring, but unfortunately sometimes it, uh, we continue to go out and cut our own stick that somebody's going to beat us with. So. Very good. Um, Ivers, your thoughts. Well, this is uh, this one I've actually uh, been living in for quite a few years now on the vendor side. I really live in it, but but we 
I like to boil it down to what does it really, what matters most, okay? And uh, I'll use my uh, old CIOs, uh, my, my former CIOs, just metric. Whatever you put in, it better be snappy, okay? Well, define snappy. What is a snappy environment, okay? How do you make Epic work snappy, okay? Um, and you, you, you start diving, well, first of all, physicians or clinicians, it, you got to be able to get at it. So it's got to be always available. Okay. They always have to have that vehicle that they use to access their, their workflow, whether it's an Epic or some other tertiary app available. And it's got to flow smoothly. So if you get, just get the access to a highly available and, uh, application available all, always, you've made a major achievement. So that's a key metric that we focused on. Second of all is how efficient and how clicky, how um, uh, invasive, if you will, is that? If that invasiveness required a couple of additional clicks, did it add to patient care? Did it benefit patient care? Did it make it faster? It might inconvenience the physician or clinician, but it improved patient care by a, a, a significant por, uh, bit. That, that was a value that was important. If it decreased uh, you know, uh, just length of time to do something that was valued, that had to be researched. So it's those kind of things that, again, it, it, we, we spent a lot of time in what impacted patient care. And that was often from the, so those are the kind of metrics that we were almost maniacally focused on. And from my discussions, many still are. So I was kind of, I kind of, you know, back to you guys is, you know, uh, from now that you guys are actually involved in that, what is it that like the, from the uh, either patient experience or physician experience, what are the two, what's one or two most things that really your physicians are clamoring for right now? Um, I'd like, you know, can you, and that might most likely speak to the quadruple aim somehow, I bet. Jim, you want to take that? Yeah, uh, well, I know we've, uh, we, as I mentioned, we've surged ahead into video visits. Uh, and so we've got uh, a couple of different solutions. We've settled on a, uh, on a, uh, a primary one uh, for physician to patient, but we have been having some issues with connectivity and um, it's kind of a cloud-based hosted option. So I think everybody jumping in and, and using that company has caused, you know, I think they're having to kind of get their back-end infrastructure together, but, you know, they, um, the, the providers do want to be able to do what they do and focus on care and not have to worry about technology and not working in too many clicks and too many logins. And so we are, you know, we're using the tap in where you tap in with your badge. So I think it's just being able to present technology mobile where they can go from exam room to exam room, you know, on a tablet or something like that. And having them, uh, I think maybe Chuck might've mentioned that earlier, uh, having them participate in the deployment of the new technology so the CMIOs and the CNIO, CNIOs and engaging them, you know, my experience is when that's been done, they're part of the team that's rolling out this, you know, kind of like this new delivery, then it's, it's a much more uh, like the problems don't get them upset to the point where they're like pointing the finger at IT. It's because they're part of, they're part of the team. So I think, uh, you know, having technology that works, I think shifting and untethering from the keyboard uh, where we're, 
where right now we have providers that just, you know, no matter how fast you can type, you know, uh, there's just so many things about that, that we need to shift more towards voice. So I think there's a lot of work going on in, in with our technology vendors on, uh, you know, intelligent voice and interpretation and getting that correlated and you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning and hooks, you know, to the, to the large, uh, vast knowledge base that they can help them make evidence-based decisions. So I think that's, um, you know, I think that's something that's uh, they're looking for. And then just a bit, uh, something simple is communication. I've, you know, I've been in many organizations. They've struggled really. How do doctors talk with each other, you know, through secure texting, but then they're not necessarily wanting all the nurses to talk with them. So the nurses can't be on that platform. And then how do the nurses communicate, uh, you know, and then the pharmacists, how do we get information? We've got overhead paging going on. We've got these little black things that are on their belt called pagers that none of the millennials, you know, they, they come into the exam room and they say, doc, hey, uh, you know, I see all this high tech stuff around here, but what's that little black thing on your belt or, you know, <laughs> that you have there? So it's called a pager. We use those in healthcare. So there's, uh, I think there's a lot of things we're dragging along uh, technology wise. Uh, and so I, I think we're getting there. I think there's, you know, you mentioned Ivers about BDI and some of the problems with latency with that, uh, you know, just having that experience uh, where it's, you know, you can get to where you need to get to quickly and do your job. And uh, so I, I think we're moving in that direction. We're getting there and hopefully uh, maybe we'll get a Maybe I'll get a chance to ask you a question, hint, hint about 5G at some point in this conversation. No. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, there's uh, lots of things although in blockchain, there's, you know, a ton of things that are, that are there, but they're not quite ready to come out of the oven yet. Uh, but they're, you know, we're looking at it. So, but they're all centered around, you know, delivering seamless access uh, and care to the patient and then the providers being able to have what they need. Uh, and, you know, equipping our nurses, you know, well, there's, you know, the average hospital room has what, uh, at least five medical devices in it, but ICU has up to 20, maybe now with COVID, we're up to like 30. So it's a very complicated system. And we haven't talked a lot about data. You know, we need to, that, that data where we can do predictive analytics and predict people that are about to code blue, you know, th those are things that patients really want. I mean, they, they're looking for that. The physicians and the clinicians, they are also. And so it's a lot of us, we just have to all come together and work uh, and continue to drive forward on these, uh, on this, uh, you know, these, these areas. Chuck, did you want to answer uh, Ivor's question? Well, if if Ivers will repeat the question, I'd be happy to because I've it, I've forgotten what it is. Basically, if uh, you know regarding the lines of metrics, what what what's one of the big things that if the physician community right now is really clamoring for or or, or driving you uh, for improving their experience or their satisfaction? Uh, they they need less technology in their life. Uh, it is. We need to make it smarter. One of the things, and Anthony knows that I work for one of the most successful health information exchanges. I've had the pleasure of running technology there for four years, been involved with it for, I guess, the last 15. Uh, is there, you know, in the state of Indiana, we now have one health information exchange. And uh, uh, how do we leverage that knowledge base in order to make uh, uh, the information uh, available. So, cause one of the things in talking to physicians that's always stuck with me is they said, don't tell me what I know, tell me what I don't know that I should know. Uh, and so, uh, we've, we, when I was there, we did some development work, uh, with IU health and Cerner to you know, put together a, a fire-based application that would present information, uh, readily, uh, about a patient's chief complaint. 
uh, that, you know, you ask most ER physicians, you know, if you have a patient that walks in the door with chest pain, it, what are you going to be looking for? Well, they gave us five or six things they always look for. And so we were able to present that information to them almost instantaneously uh, from wherever in the health system, multiple health systems that fed data into the exchange. And so I think for me uh, is how do we uh, innovate uh, with the physicians to make the system smarter uh, so uh, we can enhance their ability to make the right choices uh, because I've got a lot of friends that are physicians, uh, many uh, longtime friends, which are now retired, uh, of, of trying to understand, you know, you know, I, I have a, a, a good friend that's retired as OBGYN doc that actually delivered my number two and number three daughter. Uh, every evening uh, that he would uh, sit down for several hours and read, uh, he, he would be able to get through maybe 10 or 15 uh, articles out of his medical journal, journals. And one evening he shared with me that he just can't keep up. Now, this, keep in mind, this was 30 some odd years ago uh, because of the knowledge that is pouring out. It, he said if he spent eight hours a day reading uh, and trying to keep up with just on his specialty, it would take him uh, uh, forever to keep up because the information is coming out. And so I'm not sure how we expect uh, these folks who are very busy, who have very limited uh, time, how do we expect them to keep up? So we need to figure out ways to, you know, to enhance their knowledge base and give them access to additional information. That, you know, that's kind of a personal challenge for me. Uh, I hadn't found it yet, but uh, we'll, we'll continue to partner with the physicians to uh, see if we can crack that nut. All right. <clears throat> Jim, I want to give you uh, a chance to ask your question. I believe you want to throw something in front of Ivers, but maybe also Chuck. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I've got a question for Chuck, uh, being the sage, experienced, uh, you know. He is. Uh, it's true. It's true. IT leader uh, that's been in our uh, community for, in the CIO community and just in healthcare for so long. So thank you for all the work you've done, Chuck. Thank you. Uh, so maybe I'll, uh, yeah, I'll throw both questions up but to Ivers. So I did, I did a little bit of research that HP is kind of involved in the open distributed infrastructure management initiative, I guess. And so it's, I believe it's related to 5G. So my question just real simply is, you know, when can we, when do you think uh, it's going to be operationalized 5G? Um, that's kind of a question for you. Ivers, you answer that I'll give you my two cents. Yeah. Okay. Well, and then let me just say this real quick is I've still got stuff like DAS projects and things that are, you know, heavy, <laughs> yeah. do, heavy dollars. And I'm just wondering, is there a better way to do this? You know, in other words, putting in building cellular uh, connectivity, because if you want to get physicians off of using their iPhone for texting, you got to provide, you know, ubiquitous Wi-Fi. Uh, and so, and then so you need that cellular. Uh, so, um, Anyway, so that we, there's definitely an applications that we're looking for in healthcare to do things a little bit differently and less costly. So go ahead, Ivers. Uh, you've, uh, boy, I tell you, that's a very um, hot topic. Uh, 5G, in my opinion, is just part of the solution. Uh, yeah, it it's looking like it will be the next generation of what I, what I call the last mile connectivity. You need that consistent, reliable, ability to connect to something. 5G really looks like it is all for that. And the beautiful thing about that is, is up until now, we've always had to 
provide that transition point. You know, how do you come in from being remote, if you will, and remote can be mobile, could be anywhere, and then come into the health system and then resume operations quickly, or better yet, maintain operations. 5G, I think, offers that ability to seamlessly connect externally and resume or continue working internally. And the same, if you're internally, to leave premises and continue working without interruption. Now, that's how it's supposed to work. Yeah, HPE and others were working on implementing that, but it isn't just 5G. I mean, so great, you implement 5G. You also need then the uh, middlewares, if you will, the application virtualization, the ability to present the application in a way that also behaves seamlessly. So if you access an application through a mobile device and behind the scenes, as you know, you can have layers of technology supporting that. But when you trans, you know, when you're on a uh, connection such as 5G, it looks like we'll be able to sustain that workflow. So the, the true litmus test, in my opinion, will be if we implement 5G along with the application presentation in sustainable, sustainable way, can the physician be dictating, Chuck, as you said, you know, take hands off keyboard, can the physician be dictating notes while leaving the premises and walking to their car uh, to take off for their, you know, son's, uh, you know, uh, you know, soccer game and do it in a way that doesn't interrupt. I think that's the ultimate promise of 5G. And I hope that answered the question the way you, you, you're expecting, Jim. Yeah, thank you. So, so let me add uh, to, on, on top of what Ivor said. Last week, we have a, we have an organization downtown that's a nonprofit that's uh, working with uh, Verizon and AT&T, uh, and it's basically a 5G innovation center that they're standing up downtown. So I went, uh, and uh, uh, my uh, network architect and I went down. We're we're entering into a, a joint venture with uh, orthopedic group, very large orthopedic group uh, uh, here in Indianapolis, and uh, looking at the technology because they want to future-proof their building. And Jim, you, uh, I, I'll share with you, uh, and I, it's, you're, this is going to be a disappointment to you, just like it was to me, because uh, you know, in talking to the folks that really know what they're talking about, and talking about millimeter wave technology, it doesn't penetrate very well. Uh, they have a 1,200 square foot uh, uh, resource center they're, they're building out, and they had to put in two different. Uh, 5G antenna systems, uh, Emerson uh, antenna systems, in order to cover that entire space. Uh, and so uh, I asked the question, so are you telling me I'm going to have to put a distributive antenna system into these buildings in order to leverage uh, and be able to capture the 5G? Uh, and they said yes. Uh, and so the thing that worried me about that is I already have one DAS system that we put in one of our facilities 10 years ago that's obsolete. Uh, and so am I going to be spending, you know, a, 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 as you mentioned, an expensive amount of money uh, to put in another system that may be obsolete uh, in the not too far distant future. So I think there's still lots that you and I and others can learn. But uh, the thing about it is, is that I do believe that uh, this this technology offers a lot uh, to be desired. But one of the things that bothered me a little bit when uh, 
I was down uh, uh, talking to the folks, looking at their space, is uh, they started talking about uh, exposure to RF energy, and there's uh, and uh, there are levels that they have to test for to make sure uh, that you're going to be able to stay in that area with a, a close enough to those antennas to do some of the stuff. Mm. And so uh, there are things that we don't know yet. Uh, and so they, these are things the innovation centers like this one in downtown Indianapolis uh, and others are going to help us ferret out. And so, uh, you know, you, you can listen to um, everybody's going to tell you that 5G is the next thing since, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, if everything goes perfectly, I think it is, but uh, I'm a, enough cynic uh, and pragmatist to, or I guess you can call me a cynical pragmatist because I've been around <laughs> a long time and I've, I've had more vendors blow smoke uh, up my shoes than anybody else uh, around that I want to make sure that, uh, uh, I, and, and I'm bold enough to ask the questions uh, and poke around a little bit on it. So. Yeah, well, I would call you a realist. So, oh, well, yeah, thank, thank you thank very you. much. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. So. Right. Yeah, we, we appreciate you uh, referencing your shoes in that example <laughs> yeah. uh, very much. Yeah, you're it's very welcome. Family, it's a family program. So exactly, thank you. exactly. Yeah, right. that's right. All right, listen, uh, we could go on, but, but alas, uh, we can't. So uh, we're going to wrap it there. Uh, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck. Uh, you'll get an email when the on-demand recording of this event is ready to go. If you want to sponsor one of our events, you can reach out to Nancy from our team, and you can go to our website to register for upcoming panels. With that, I want to thank – what a great panel. Very good time. I want to thank Chuck Christian, Jim Brady, and Ivers AppSite, and I want to thank Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Intel for sponsoring this event, uh, making this discussion possible, and I want to thank you, our attendees. With that. Everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.